So I'd like to mention a few things about the Holocaust. A lot of um, information will be given to you in the videos we show. And, uh, and I would mention, since we do have some of our kids with us, uh, that moms or dads, if your kids are especially squeamish, the videos, uh, certainly the last video in particular, uh, can be a little difficult. But, um, but let me just say this, that the Holocaust was a result of anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism comes from Hasatan. It's, it's just, it's, it's a tool of Satan to get rid of Jews because we know in Scripture it says, as long as there's a sun and a moon and stars, Israel will be a nation before me, says God. So, um, so this is his play, so to speak. And, uh, and he uses everybody and anybody. And who will allow it? And unfortunately, um, the church has been one of the people who have hurt uh, in terms of anti-Semitism, hurt the Jews. And uh, so I will, I will give you a little insight. Most of you probably already know, but uh, on two people, one who was very positive and and one who ended up being very negative. Um, Martin Luther, a uh, great man of God, obviously. Uh, the Jews, he said, are blood relations of our Lord. If I were proper to boast of flesh and blood, the Jews belong more to Christ than we. I beg, therefore, my dear Papist, if you become tired of abusing me as a heretic, that you begin to revile me as a Jew. That's what Martin Luther said at the beginning of his ministry. At the end of his ministry, he said, what shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Since they live among us, we dare not tolerate their conduct. Now that we are aware of their lying, reviling, and blaspheming. So I shall give you some sincere advice. First, set fire to their synagogues and schools, and bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn. Secondly, I advise their houses to be burned and destroyed. Third, I advise all their books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught be taken from them. Fourth, I advise the rabbis to be forbidden to teach on pain of loss of life and limb. Fifth, I advise the safe conduct of the highways be abolished completely for the Jews. Sixth, I will advise that usury be prohibited to them and that all cash and treasure of silver and gold be taken from them. So, um, it was so bad that actually Hitler in World War II quoted Martin Luther as a reason to exterminate the Jews. So, what I get from that is this. Whether we're looking at Martin Luther, or we're looking at King Solomon, or we have to remain humble and close to the Lord because it could happen to you or I. This is not something that just happens to somebody... Uh, I mean, there's a spiritual war going on. And we have to understand that anybody can be part of that warfare and, and, and lose their, their direction. So we, we have to be close to the Lord, and we have to be humble. We have to be teachable. Secondly, we have a, a wonderful... German confessing pastor, that's what they were called, uh, in a German confessing church, Martin Niemöller, and most of you are familiar with what he wrote, but I'm going to read it again. We read it at every uh, Yom HaShoah service because it is so true. Now, you might want to just consider changing the words a little in your mind 
and instead maybe put in Russia, Ukraine, the rest of the world as I read this. First, they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists. I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Okay, at this time, what we're going to do is we're going to light the Shabbat, uh, light the candles. And let me just say a couple words about lighting the candles, um, because these candles are called yardside candles. They burn 24 hours, and yardside means uh, year and times. Yar is year, sight is time. So it's a the time of the year to have a memorial, and to remember people who have passed away. So today. It's going to be uh, concerning the, uh, the people who have been involved in the Holocaust as well as other Holocausts, other, other genocides, or people who put their life on the line for us and have passed away. So um, the word that is mentioned in the beginning, which all of us will say, is the word zachor. Zachor means to remember. And so as the readers come forward, we're going to ask them to light one of these candles, and uh, you can read with them, and then there's a part where they will read alone, and hopefully it will be obvious. So Yuri, I'm going to ask you to come first. And if you'd light one of the candles. Join me to read the Zahor. Um, so now we can read. We remember the six million Jewish people who died in the Holocaust. Uh, a quote from Anne Frank, if we, wear, if we bear all this suffering and there are still Jews left, when it's over, then Jews, instead of being doomed, will be held up as an example. Okay, next, uh, Cassidy. You can just come right up after the last person. Okay. want to first do the... Zakor, please recite with me. We remember the five million Gentiles who died in the Holocaust, many of whom sought to help our Jewish people. A quote from Viktor Frankl. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man. But one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to, to, to choose one's own way. Please read with me. We remember the many in modern-day Israel who have died because of terrorism and war. A quote from Charlie Dent. We in the United States should be all the more thankful for the freedom and religious tolerance we enjoy. And we should always remember the lessons learned from the Holocaust in hopes we stay vigilant against such inhumanity now and in the future.
please read with me? Zachor. We remember the victims of genocide and slavery caused by man's inhumanity towards man in places like Armenia, Darfur, Cambodia, and Ukraine. A quote from Judah Bor, Yehuda Bor. Thou shalt not be a victim, thou shalt not be a perpetrator, but above all, thou shalt not be a bystander. So cool. We remember in many in the United States Armed Forces, law enforcement officers and firefighters and all first responders that have given their lives so that we can live in freedom and safety. A quote by Edmund Burke. For evil to flourish, it requires only good men to do nothing. And a quote by Simon Weinstein. Thank you. <laughs> For me, the Holocaust was not only a Jewish tragedy, but also a human tragedy. After the war, when I saw that the Jews were talking not only about the tragedy of six million Jews, I sent letters to Jewish organizations asking them to talk about also about the millions of others who were persecuted with us together, many of them only because they helped Jews. Zakhor, read with me. We remember that many babies that have been killed in the United States, in Israel, and throughout the world. In the history of the United States, those who died in war were approximately Revolutionary War, 25,000, Civil War, 500,000, World War I, 117, World War II, 407,000. Korean, 54,000. Vietnam, 59,000. Gulf, 200. Iraq, 4,200. Afghanistan, approximately 2,500. Total, 1,168,900 died in wars. However, the number of unborn, the casualties of abortion in the United States since 1973 are over 60 million babies, and currently about 1.3 million each year. We repent over our inaction and our silence. One of the other reasons to light candles is as there is more light, we get brighter. And this is really what we should be doing in the world. We should be getting brighter as a congregation. Shalom all. Zachor, we remember Yeshua died for all. He called us to love even our enemies, a love where anti-Semitism, racism, and hatred cannot survive. And through the Ruach HaKodesh, our helper, we have hope. Isaiah 49, 6 says, So he says, It is too trifling a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. So I will give you as a light for the nations that you should be my salvation to the end of the earth. Lamentation three twenty one through 25 says, This I recall to my heart, therefore I have hope. Because of the mercies of Adonai, we cannot be consumed. 
for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Adonai is my portion, says, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Adonai is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. Amen. So at this time, what I'd like to do, um, changing the order a little, uh, guys, um, I'd like to show the videos. So the first video is just a very short informational video. Uh, and then the next few videos, we'll get into it a little more. But uh, this first one, as I said, is, is kind of a summary informational thing, just a couple minutes. So. Let's watch this together. The word holocaust comes from the Greek words holos and kostos, which mean whole and burn. The term used to refer to a Jewish sacrificial offering to God that was laid on an altar and burned. Since the 20th century, though, the word has taken on a new and horrible meaning. Now it refers to the systematic murder of six million European Jews by the Nazi party. Although it is hard to talk about the Holocaust without referring to World War II, they are not the same thing. The Holocaust was one of the worst genocides the world has ever seen. Fully two-thirds of all the Jews in the world were murdered, not as part of the war effort, but simply because of hate. After World War I, and as a result of the Treaty of Versailles, Germany was in a state of desolation and economic depression with little hope of recovery. Hitler and the Nazi party rose to power and it was partly because they found someone to blame for the country's difficulties, the Jews. Anti-Semitism or hatred of Jewish people had been a rampant evil in Europe for hundreds of years and for Hitler, the Jews became a convenient target to direct all the anger and frustration brewing inside Germany. Of course, Hitler wasn't just hunting for a scapegoat, he himself was deeply anti-Semitic and believed Jews were an inferior race that would pollute German purity. His persecution began with discrimination, limiting the Jews' freedoms and rights onto outright removal and persecution until it culminated in mass murder. Meanwhile, World War II raged around the globe, disguising the extent of the Holocaust's atrocities. Jews were the main target of Hitler's extermination, but not the only one. Another five million people deemed inferior were murdered, such as gypsies, gay people, and handicapped people. Taken together, the Holocaust claimed 11 million lives between 1941 and 1945. Such horror can never be forgotten. Okay, so this second video is quite different. It's an interview, and I don't think I've ever played this here before in previous years. It's an interview between Sid Roth and Rose Price. Uh, Rose Price, a um, number of us know from Philadelphia, those of us who lived in Philadelphia, and then she moved to Florida, and, uh, and, and she's spoken, she had spoken here at least once, maybe twice, um, before she passed away. And um, I think that this is an important interview, not only for us to learn more about what she went through in the Holocaust, but also it's important because it also talks about her salvation. So, um, and, and a real key thing uh, of, and forgiveness, which is such a difficult thing when talking about the Holocaust. So let's watch this interview. Rose Price, growing up in a little city in Poland, what is your recollection of Jesus? They are many bruises on my body in the name of Jesus. I was hit in the head with a cross with Jesus on it by a priest in the habit. And my crime was that I walked on the sidewalk where the church was. A Jew wasn't allowed to walk over no, there? No, because I defiled the church. I was seven or eight years old at the time. Anti-Semitism, I always knew. I was called Christ killer, I was called dirty Jew, I was hidden uh, with stones when I would go to the Polish school. So I knew I was different. 
And then in 1939, September 1, then it really was happening. That's when Germany invaded Poland. And with a short time, we were thrown out of school. We were thrown out. What were you told when you were thrown out of school? Actually, we were told never to come back. Like, you Jews do not come back to the school anymore. And the next thing, we were thrown out of our home into the ghetto. Tell me what life was like in the concentration camp. Oh, Lord. Well, we worked around, sometimes around the clock. We were constantly beaten. We had to make so many boxes a day of ammunition. And if not, you never left the machine. You had to make it if you had to stay a whole week without stop. Uh, our food consisted on one slice of bread, a quarter of an inch thick, and one cup of coffee and sometimes a cup of soup. The torches, every Saturday afternoon, we would be marched up to the upper room. And this is what they called it, the upper room. And everything I want you to know was done in the name of Jesus. Tell me the, uh, one of the worst things you can remember happening to you personally in the camp. Uh, there's so many. I think the one with the experimentations. What kind of experimentations? Well, we were undressed in Bergenbelsen and stayed in the snow for 24 hours. I know it started at nighttime, mm -hmm. and we stayed a whole night and a whole day. And many, many people died, fell, and that's how I survived. Their bodies fell against mine. And they would come every so often to take blood to see. The whole experiment was how quickly could the blood freeze and the people die. A miracle happened. You survived. Why, yes. why did you think you survived? How did you survive? And so many others did. Well, for many, many years, I was asking the same question. Why is God punishing me? Because I felt so guilty of surviving. There were more worthy people than I to survive. You come to America, you get married, <laughs> you become active in the synagogue right across the street. You were what, the, were you the president? I worked up to president. So, why, so if you're not even believing in God, why were you in the synagogue? I was a good social Jew. Okay, so one day your daughter comes home and mm -hmm. she says to her mother, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. What happened? Well, after they revived me, I th I, after three days, I threw her out. Real? Your own daughter? My own daughter. Why? I threw her. She went to my enemy. Because in the name of Jesus, all the atrocities were done. So you kicked mm -hmm. your own daughter out? Yes. And then shortly, your younger daughter, same thing? Same thing. And my husband. Your husband went to, to check on the two girls. And and, the, yeah. And what did, what did he find out when he went to check? That they were all sitting on the floor and praying for me. And he felt so bad that he sat down and he prayed. Now, my husband wasn't a praying man. I couldn't get him into the synagogue. You're telling me he believed in Jesus? Yeah. Okay, so you've got a family. Oh, no. You yes. picture that? Uh -huh. She's got her whole family now believes in Jesus. Uh, did you go to the rabbi for help? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I was running to the rabbi day and night until I went there with Isaiah 53. Then he threw me out. Whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. Why did a rabbi, you're, you're the president of the sisterhood, why would he throw you out? Uh, because a Jewish woman does not read Isaiah 53. But that's in the Jewish scriptures. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't read. You don't, you don't have to read that. You're not supposed to. So that made you a believer because he threw you out? Well, that made me angry enough to pick up my daughter's Bible, which it was a King James at the time, to go down the basement and start reading both Bibles. Why would you go in the basement? 
so nobody would see me reading the Bible. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a modern Jew, you don't read that stuff. And I started reading the King James, and I started with Matthew, and I was looking for the killer Jesus. And what did you find? I found a lamb. I couldn't find the killer. You know, he loved us so much. I invited Rose to go to Berlin, Germany with me because there was a gathering of Christians and they asked me to find some speakers. I suggested Rose Price. She did not want to go. Uh, to, why didn't you want to go, Rose? To go back to that accursed land, to Germany, speak on forgiveness? Come on now, have mercy on me. But you and your husband and, yes. and I were on that plane <laughs> headed to oh, Berlin. Lord, it we, was a long plane flight. It was hard. But you know, you know something? When you went out in that big stadium, it was the stadium, by the way, that Hitler said they would rule forever from. And in that stadium, there were... Jewish flags waving, young Christ mm -hmm. German Christians, listen to this, young German Christians with Jewish stars, <laughs> stars, what effect did that have on you? Well, definitely, because I took off my star, you took off yours, and we went to Germany, and he had German people wearing the Jewish symbols. I mean, it, it's kind of funny to show. It had a big effect on me, yes. And after you spoke there, a man came up to you, and what did he say? Well, he was one of six or seven men, but this particular man asked me to forgive him because he was a guard in Dachau. You were in Dachau? I was in Dachau, yes. Well, what did, at and that moment, be real right now, and I know you are, I know you are. Mm -hmm. What went through your mind when this... Kill him. Why? Because his job was punishment. And his mildest punishment was throwing us into the mud with face down and step on us and break the bones because we were just bones, skin and bones. And many, many of the people just remained laying there and beating us, constantly beating us. And here he is kneeling in front of me. What was he asking you for? To forgive him. And I thought to myself, I forgive you. I'm going to send you where you wanted me to go. I mean, very simple. I didn't even remember I had spoken on forgiveness. I was so semi-conscious. I only knew this guy hit me. This guy hurt me, and I have to break his neck, and that's the opportunity I have. And I put my hands out. And then the Lord just took my hands and put them back. That's when... Peter, Corrie Ten Boom's nephew, dubbed me the Jewish Corrie Ten Boom when he saw my hands so, going back. So your hands went back and then back, what? Back this way. And then what happened? The man got up and he, I, I said something in German for the first time because I haven't spoken German. And I said, okay, I forgive you. But I really didn't mean it. It took me a while to learn to forgive. But I could say now, I totally forgive, not just the Germans, but also the Polish. Yeah. Okay, we're going to just show one more, so make it number four, if you would. And, uh, well, it'll speak for itself. So uh, this is about 15 minutes, this video. The man came up to us and said, there's a factory about a mile down the road and you will find a lot of Jewish women in there that were dropped there and the SS is guarding them. We opened the, the, this shed, we went in there.
Though fighting still raged in the Pacific theater, World War II in Europe officially ended with Germany's unconditional surrender on May 8, 1945. Allied armed forces advanced across Europe in the war's final stages, relentlessly pursuing the retreating German army. As they did, they stumbled onto camps, often accidentally, that had been established and run by the Nazis and their local collaborators. The Soviet army, advancing from the east, liberated Nazi camps in Poland, including Majdanek and Auschwitz. The British and Canadians, advancing from the west, liberated Bergen-Belsen and camps in northern Germany. The Americans, our focus here, liberated Dachau, Buchenwald and other camps. As their armies advanced across Europe, the Allies found thousands of people imprisoned in camps. They encountered piles of corpses and thousands of skeletal prisoners on the verge of death from malnutrition and disease. This was their first encounter with the horror of what would come to be known as the Holocaust. They began to understand that the Nazis had committed atrocities against civilians, the vast majority of them Jews, on an unimaginable scale and that these atrocities were very different from the deaths caused by conventional warfare. A new category of crime had to be recognized to describe the intentional attempt to destroy a people. This crime came to be known as genocide. The soldiers were the very first outside witnesses of the Holocaust, an unprecedented case of genocide. The testimonies of the first soldiers who entered the camps, known as the Liberators, are important eyewitness accounts of the mass atrocities committed against the Jews of Europe by the Nazis and their collaborators. Hardened combat veterans, the American GIs were used to death. Many had been fighting for years, but they had never seen killings of civilians on the massive scale they discovered. Their first encounters with Holocaust survivors at this unique moment in time give us an essential and intensely human perspective on the difference between military war and genocide. Leon Bass was 20 years old and was among the first U.S. soldiers to arrive at Buchenwald. I can never forget that day because when I walked through that gate, I saw in front of me what I call the walking dead. I saw human beings, human beings that had been beaten, had been starved, had been tortured. They had been denied everything. They had skeletal faces with deep-set eyes. Their heads had been clean-shaved and they were standing there and they were holding on to one another just to keep from falling. I saw the clothing of little children, the little children that didn't survive. Up against the wall there were mounds of clothing. I saw the caps, sweaters, the stockings, the shoes, but I never saw a child. Harry Mogan was a Jewish refugee from Nazi persecution. He reached the United States and became a soldier and a liberator. And, and you saw uh, women on, on, on the floor on, on wooden pallets. When I say women, you saw skeletons, rags hanging on them, no shoes bones instead of faces, and the stench was so horrible. It's hard to describe. What the American soldiers found at Ordruff, a subcamp of Buchenwald, was so grisly that General Dwight D. Eisenhower, then the Supreme Commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force in Europe, together with Generals Patton and Bradley, arrived to inspect the camp for themselves. After his visit, Eisenhower cabled. The things I saw beggared description. The visual evidence and the verbal testimony of starvation, cruelty, and bestiality were so overpowering as to leave me a bit sick. I made the visit deliberately in order to be in a position to give first-hand evidence of these things, if ever, in the future. There develops a tendency to charge these allegations merely 
to propaganda. These words are now engraved on the wall of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. Eisenhower's eyewitness testimony reveals that what he saw at Ordruf left a powerful impression. Eisenhower foresaw the problem of disbelief that could fuel the denial of atrocities committed by the Nazis and their collaborators. He emphasized that he purposely witnessed these horrors so that no one would later be able to deny what he saw with his own eyes. Eisenhower was convinced that the world needed to know. He made sure that members of Congress and journalists were brought to see the camp. He had all nearby soldiers whose units were not on the front lines visit as well, writing. We are told the American soldier does not know what he is fighting for. Now, at least, he will know what he is fighting against. U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Horace Evers was among the first Allied soldiers to enter Adolf Hitler's abandoned Munich quarters. He discovered Hitler's personal stationery. He crossed out Adolf Hitler, inserted his own name, and wrote a letter home about the camp he had seen just outside of Munich. Dearest Mom and Lou, a railroad runs alongside the camp, and as we walked toward the boxcars on the track, I thought of some of the stories I previously had read about Dachau and was glad of the chance to see for myself just to prove once and for all that what I had heard was propaganda. But no, it wasn't propaganda at all. If anything, some of the truth had been held back. In two years of combat, you can imagine I've seen a lot of death, furious deaths mostly, but nothing has ever stirred me as much as this. The first boxcar I came to had about 30 what were once humans in it, bodies on top of each other, no telling how many, and then into the camp itself, filthy barracks. How can people do things like that? I never believed they could, until now. As American troops approached Dachau, they saw ghastly evidence of recent mass prisoner executions. Anger led some to shoot SS guards still at the camp. But Dachau not only fueled their rage, it also aroused their compassion. Paul Parks was a 22-year-old American soldier from Indianapolis who witnessed Dachau after liberation. These people came out of these barracks-like buildings, their striped uniforms on, and just in devastated shape. One of the fellows came out who spoke English, and he said, are you Americans? And I said, yes. He said, thank God, and he hit the ground and started to pray. Who were the people that these soldiers found? They were the victims of Nazi ideology and hatred. The Jews among them had managed to survive the Holocaust, whose goal was total annihilation. Other prisoners, including Roma, homosexuals, and communists, had managed to survive persecution and murder. For many, liberation came too late. Hundreds continued to die every day of starvation, exhaustion, and disease. But for others, the soldiers were larger than life. They represented the moment of salvation that many survivors had despaired they might not live to see. Helen Greenbaum survived imprisonment in the Warsaw Ghetto, forced labor at a number of camps, including Majdanek and Ravensbrück, and a death march to Dachau, where she was finally liberated. They opened all the, the gates, and we started some of on all four, because they let us know that the soldiers are coming. And we went out to greet the American soldiers. And we dropped to their feet and we kissed their boots. They, some of them that couldn't walk, they were just crawling. They picked up and carried the men into the camps. Some of the soldiers broke down and cried at the sight of the survivors. Many made the conscious decision to put their military objectives temporarily on hold in order to care for the broken and dying prisoners that they found. In most cases, the liberators treated them with sympathy and kindness. 
After the Germans had mercilessly stripped them of their dignity, the liberators were the first to restore their humanity. Anton Mason was about 18 when he was liberated by American soldiers at Buchenwald. He had survived Auschwitz, where most of his family was murdered. I found out my father was dead, and I was truly at the end of my rope. I said, I don't know if I can go on. But there is something that's just impossible to explain. I just decided that I'm not going to give up. I'm going to try. And then, out of no place, <laughs> on April 11th, the Americans arrived. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, how is this possible? I walked over to a GI, and young guy, and I asked him if he could give me some food. I was very hungry. So he took out, he gave me a Nestle bar, and he gave me a, gold, a little gold envelope. It said Nescafe. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so he gave me a little food. Now, you know how much that food was worth? He could have gotten anything for it in Weimar, but he gave it to me. Sully Ganor lay half dead in the snow after a death march from Dachau. He remembers the unshaven, tired soldier who knelt down, gently touched him on the shoulder, and said, You're free, boy. You're free now. Sully was surprised by the soldier's Japanese features. His liberator, Clarence Matsumura, was a member of a segregated regiment of Nisei soldiers, American children of Japanese immigrants. Clarence smiled at Sully, a smile that stayed with him ever since. Sully has called Clarence his angel. Ironically, African-American GIs like Paul Parks and Leon Bass and Japanese-Americans like Clarence Matsumura served in segregated units in the U.S. Army. They fought for freedom and democracy despite facing discrimination at home and within the Army. Nisei soldiers celebrated the survivors' freedom even though racial tension and fear during the war had caused many of their own families to be interned in camps in the U.S. For countless survivors of the Holocaust, that first contact with the liberators was the moment they began to feel safe after years of fear, loss, and rupture. But for many, liberation was the saddest moment of their lives. It was the moment they realized they were completely alone in the world. For many liberators, their first contact with the survivors was a powerful moment of insight. Trained to wage war, many chose to suspend their military missions for the humanitarian mission of giving care and respect to the survivors. The experiences of the survivors and the liberators moved many to become a moral voice, sharing their stories. I've been trying to give testimony for a long time by just going around and speaking to people. And I think it's important that I speak what, about what I saw and that others speak about what they saw. Are we looking for credit? No. No one's looking for credit. No one wants a pat on the back. All we want to do is say, will this be prevented from happening again. That's the most basic thing. So, um, you know, one of the discouraging things about this is it's not being prevented again. It's going on right now, um, not only in Ukraine, but in China and places all around the world. And uh, some are more obvious to us. And, and, but this is why this, that generation was called the greatest generation, is because they had the courage to, to stand up and against this kind of evil and do something. Um, I just want to close a few thoughts from myself in terms of this, and, and there are some slides to go with this. Uh, 
But I, I would say the first thing of develop, you know, because anything like this, we have to figure out what are we going to get from it? What, what do we, what's the takeaway for us? And it's part of our growth to learn from these types of things, anything. And so the first thing, number one, is that we need to be resolved to never forget, never allow it to happen again, which is why we're raising money in, in certain, but you know, I just feel guilty because there's so many other places. And be resolved to never be silent. And I think this is a, a critical thing that we need to do. Um, and, and I don't think we do enough. I don't think our government does enough, but I, I think we allow our government not to do enough. Secondly, and extremely important, we need to make a habit of an attitude of blessing and thankfulness at all times in all situations. Um, God is so clear about this, and it's so against everything we grow up, because we base everything on feelings. But God wants us to have an attitude of being blessed because he's God. And because our focus should be on him, and so we should be thankful at all times, regardless of the situation we're put in or other people are put in. Number three, so critical, and, and especially in these days, we are not to be ruled by our past or the past of others. It's just so discouraging sometimes to hear people talk about their past, and I realize I had a much better past than many other people. But to use that to not do the right things or to allow ourselves is, is, is just something that is not scriptural. We, we, you know, we see in Philippians 3 to forget what lies behind and move forward to the onward call. The onward call me being Messiah Yeshua. Number four, we need to learn to forgive. I, I realize how hard that is. I know my parents didn't want to buy anything that was German for many, many, many years because they were so angry. And... Uh, I know when they went back to Vienna, Austria, they said that they would never come again, even though that was their home, uh, original home. They said the anti-Semitism, they could still feel it on the streets. And they said they, that even though Vienna tried to uh, give them some financial remunerations and other things, it didn't matter. My parents just didn't want to have anything to do with it because it, it, was, it's, it was very hard for them to forgive. They eventually did, but number five, we need to respond with action. I, I think if there's anything that this day of remembrance should do, it should reignite us to make sure that we're part of a solution, not part of a problem. And, um, and part of that is, is going to action, whether it is having to do with abortion in our country or whether it has to do with uh, civil rights or whatever it has to do with, uh, we need to be people of action. And uh, number six, uh, a very difficult thing for people nowadays is to use your words for good and choose your words carefully and only speak those things that are of God. You know, in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, it says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, men will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
I've always felt, and I, and, and I saw a program on this, I can't remember the name of it. it, it its intention wasn't to do this, but that's what I read into it. And, and, and it was that hatred begins with just a few words. Just a few words. And it, and it just strengthens and it increases. This is how the enemy works. And, and we have to stop it when it gets to us. We just have to stop it. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building others up according to the need, so that it gives grace to those who hear it. I mean, that's, that's really the bottom line, right? This, this is who we are supposed to be. You know, I, I thought of if I were a little younger, I'd go to Ukraine or somewhere and, and, and be a fighter. And I'm, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of useless at this point in terms of fighting. So uh, I'm staying home and just causing problems here. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things, obviously, I, I spend time doing is praying for the people in China and the people in Ukraine and, and other places. And I, I would just ask that, and you know, come on Tuesday nights where we pray for the world. We pray for the United States and Israel and the world. And, um, but that's what we've got to do. We've got to, um, we've got to do what we can do. And one of the things we can do uh, is that God allows us to pray. And so we should, we should definitely pray. And, and for those of you who feel you can, get involved in politics, school boards, city councils. Bring the light of the Lord to wherever we go. And, and if we're just sitting at home, we are not, we're hiding our light under a bushel. So in John 1.5, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overpowered it. That's good to know because sometimes it feels like it has. And, and this is what God is trying to tell us, to encourage us. And so finally in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven.